Good morning. So the reading this morning is from uh, the Gospel of Matthew. It's actually right at the end, I mean literally right at the end. It's the last verses of, of Matthew's Gospel. Um, is it on the screen? Is it coming on the screen? It probably is. Confusingly, I'm sorry, I'm going to read it from a different version. Um, I hope that's okay. It's the New Living Translation. It's not vastly different. Very significant words, these, that Jesus speaks. The last words that he speaks to his disciples. He's been with them for three years. The uh, last words are often very significant, aren't they, that uh, someone speaks before they leave their loved ones. And these are very significant. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some, some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the word of God. Well, hello, everyone. Good morning to you all. We, um, Phil and I have something in common. It may not be that obvious to you at first sight, but we have both escaped the clutches of the London commuter belt. We've both made a big change in our lives. As grandfathers, we have given up life in the southeast and come southwest to enjoy the company of children and grandchildren. And with a gorgeous grandchild like Charlie, who wouldn't? As Joe mentioned, today's theme is open to God's purposes, and Matthew chapter 28 challenges us with this question, am I open to change? Am I open to change? There was an American multimillionaire called Richard Mellon and he was president of Alcoa, which was the world's largest aluminium producer. Or maybe I should say aluminum producer. He had a brother called Andrew. And the two of them had a little game going on, a little game of tag. I don't know if you call it tag or it or he, but you know what I mean. The weird thing is that this game of tag lasted for over 70 years. And when Richard was on his deathbed, he called his brother to come and see him. And his brother came over. And as he bent down, Richard whispered to him. He said, last tag, you're it. His last words, 
Poor Andrew was it for the next four years until he died. Because as Phil said, last words are important. Last words are poignant. And last words often reveal much about a relationship. So what are Jesus' last words to his disciples? What are Jesus' last words recorded here for us? Well, these are things perhaps most close to Jesus' heart. And he basically says three things. Make disciples, baptise them, and teach them to do all that I've commanded you. Discipleship, baptism, teaching. This is his priority. These are his marching orders. This is his new covenant mission. In the context of God's great eternal plan with us, there are four great segments that we need to understand. The first starts in the Garden of Eden with the birth of sin. The second comes at Calvary. Salvation comes through the cross and through resurrection. The third one is what we've read today, which is the preaching of the gospel, discipleship. And the fourth is eternity, the great final destination. For those in Christ, it's a home in heaven. For those who reject him, it's eternal separation. So these are the four great milestones in God's story with us. And the journey starts in those early chapters in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. I wonder if you've ever suffered the loss of a relationship. Perhaps separation from family or friends. Or perhaps the loss or death of someone who's irreplaceable to you. You see, there's no other word to describe it. It breaks your heart. And if you've known anything of that, you might know something of the loss and heartbreak that God experienced in the Garden of Eden. Mankind was his most precious creation, unique amongst all that he conceived. Someone to commune with, to talk with, to love. Sons and daughters, made in his own image. But oh, how that relationship was broken. It was broken by sin. It was broken because man said, I want to do it my way. I don't want to do it your way. Broken because man denied God's authority and God's kingship. And man said to God, I don't need you. I only need me. God was rejected. Man walked out. The relationship was broken. And God's heart was broken too. And the seed of sin was born. And like a rampant disease, it afflicted everyone. But when something is so precious, there's no end that you won't go to to recover it. And God wanted that relationship restored. He wanted reconciliation. And to do so, he would bear the consequences of that separation. He would undertake the death that sin had brought about. He would become the substitute sacrificial lamb, condemned that the guilty might go free. And so from that first milestone in the Garden of Eden, we go to the second milestone, a different garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the story of God's second heartbreak. It's the night before Jesus' crucifixion and God looks on 
And there is his son in the garden, wrestling with a prospect of being beaten and scourged by Roman soldiers, wrestling with a prospect of being nailed in crucifixion, wrestling with a prospect that God his Father would turn his back on him. And the full fury of eternal hell would be unleashed with incomparable and unimaginable ferocity. And for three days, our sin tore apart the very heart of God and the very person of God. There was that shout from the cross, it's finished. The earth quaked, the sun forbear to shine. There was never such a day. Never had the core of the universe, never had heaven and earth seen such a violation of the holiness of Almighty God as Christ died on Calvary. Your substitute, dying that you might live. How the Father's heart was broken a second time. This is amazing. This is the greatest act of love, the greatest act of sacrifice, the greatest moment in history. And that day is finally slammed shut as the stone crashes into place against the borrowed tomb. There he lay, cold, lifeless, blooded, dead. The body of God's only son. And God's heart is broken again. But as dawn broke on the third day, soldiers were dazzled and dazed, and the angels rolled back that mighty stone. The grave clothes were unoccupied, the tomb was empty, and the early morning resounded to the crescendo of he is risen, he is risen. Sin had been paid for, death had been conquered, and the sacrificial lamb was now a risen conquering king. The great divide caused by sin had been bridged. The temple curtain which symbolically separated man from God was torn in two and God and sinners are reconciled. A great exchange. God taking your sin and you take his righteousness. He doesn't see your sin anymore. You look to him just like Jesus. Death is defeated and life is now eternal. We started in Eden, we've gone to Calvary and now the third milestone in this history, it's discipleship. Go tell the world. These are Jesus' last words to his disciples. Go tell of my free gift. That's your marching orders. Go tell of my love. This is your great commission. This is the mission of the church. Go tell, go preach. Salvation is open to all who believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This is the effect of salvation. The church, individuals who commit their lives to follow Jesus. But, and there's a big but, and the but is verse 17. Can you believe what we read in verse 17? Matthew says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Some doubted. After the most monumental event in history, some doubted. Jesus is standing there. And some doubted. They'd followed him. They'd obeyed him. They'd gone to Galilee as he'd asked them to do. And still they doubted. 
Belief requires a step of faith. Belief requires a step into the unknown. Belief requires a response to the call of God. For these disciples, they were called to see and believe. But Jesus says to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And we're called to take that step of faith. We're called not to see, but to believe. We believe because of the witness of this gospel account. We believe because of the witnesses of others who know Christ for themselves. We believe because God's Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and tells us this is true. God has done everything for your salvation. It cost him everything. And he calls you now to be his disciple, to be his follower. And all heaven waits with bated breath as he extends that invitation to you. Will you come home? Will you be reconciled? Will you accept my love? Will you live for me as I died for you? Thomas was one of those who hesitated. And how direct was Jesus? Stop doubting and believe. Jesus says to you, trust me. If this wasn't serious, would I have gone to all these lengths? Stop doubting and believe. Your very life depends on it. Stop doubting and believe. You can't save yourself. Stop doubting and believe. Today, we're going to hear the testimony of those who've declared, yes, Lord, I believe. Will you add your voice to theirs? Will you stand and say, yes, I too believe? Will you say today, I renounce my selfishness, my self-centeredness, my sinful life. I'm sorry that I've ignored your love and I've gone my own way. Lord, I turn to you. I open my heart to you. I open my life to you. I submit my will to your will. I accept your love. And I want to follow you from this moment for the rest of my life. God promises unequivocally to accept those who repent and turn to him. His arms are open. His broken heart is now bursting to welcome you home. There's no one excluded from that invitation. Come, says Jesus. You might be racked with guilt over things you've done. You can come, says Jesus. You may have failed him, let him down, wandered from him. You can come, says Jesus. You may be wounded by life, wounded by events, wounded by people. You may feel alone and rejected. You can come, says Jesus. You might be frightened and feel useless. You can come, says Jesus. You may feel frail. You may feel there's nothing you can do. You can come, says Jesus. 
Come because I love you. Come because I want you. Come because I need you, says Jesus. He died for the sins of the world. But let me tell you this, if you had been the only one, he'd have died for you. That's how much he loves you. What he offers you this morning is that free gift, a free gift of salvation. Christmas is coming. Presents will be pervasive. But presents are of no use unless they're received and unwrapped. A present has to be accepted. Do you accept that free gift of salvation from God this morning? He's offering it to you. This is a defining moment in your life. He asks you this question. Are you open to my purposes? Are you open to change? What's your answer? Let's bow our heads for a moment as we give God the answer to the question he's asking us. He asks us, will you accept my gift? Will you come home? We've heard Jesus' last words to his disciples. Let's hear his last words in the Bible. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let, he- let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Father, this morning I come. I come with all my fears and my failures, but I come. I come because I need you. I come because I trust you. I come because for reasons I don't understand, you love me. Thank you that you haven't let me go. Thank you for speaking to me. Thank you for your gift of salvation. Lord, I doubt no longer. I turn to Christ. I accept his invitation. I take that free gift of the water of life. I put myself in your hands. I put myself at your disposal. I own Christ as my saviour and my Lord. I praise you in the name of the one who was and is and is to come, Jesus, your Son, my Saviour. Amen.